0: If you have a Bible with you this evening, we're going to actually read two different selections, both in the book of Romans. I'm going to read, first of all, uh, chapter 10, so that's back on page 946, just a brief portion out of chapter 10, and then we will flip back once again to Romans chapter 3. We'll flip back a few pages to Romans chapter 3. But first of all here, the Word of God, Romans chapter 10, uh, in the Pew Bible here, it's 946, page 90, 946. And I'd like to read beginning at verse 12, verse 12. Uh, this is uh, the word of our God. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call upon him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. It's Romans chapter 10. Then flip back to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. (coughs) And again, beginning with verse 9. Romans 3 at verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written, None is righteous, no not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have sent, All have turned aside, and together they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Of sin. Uh, this is the reading of God's Word. Let's pray now. Let's pray together. <clears throat> our gracious Father, we would ask now for your Holy Spirit to tend to us and that he might overshadow us with grace and with truth, especially, Lord, to illumine our hearts. Uh, we pray for eyes to see and ears to hear. And that, Father, we would have all that you would have here for us. We'd partake of it and and thus uh, take it in the heart and, and be blessed by your word, Lord. Teach us, we pray. And so hear us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We read back in chapter 10 that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. I thought here this afternoon about two of our catechism questions. Again, the Westminster Shorter Catechism is that guide, and catechism means literally a sounding. It's a sounding, and that way, there's a question that's put, something we hear, a question that's put, and then an answer is given. That's the actual uh, root and sort of the etymology of that word, to catechize, it's a sounding, A question is asked, and then there is an answer. I'd like to go ahead and and just uh, put to us tonight questions and answers here. This whole matter that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. In our catechism, we have this one question. What is faith in Jesus Christ? And here's the answer. Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he's offered to us in the gospel. So that question is getting at the fact that faith is a gift and faith is is the means by which we, you know, we, it's, it's the expression of calling out to God, and it's how we rest in Christ and trust in him as the gospel is preached to us, offered to us. And then, the, and then the catechism goes on to talk about preaching then, about this preaching that indeed we might hear the gospel, that we might then rest alone by faith, rest alone upon Christ for our Eternal salvation. What about this preaching? Here's another question. How is the Word made effect, effectual for salvation? How is the Word made effectual uh, to salvation? Here's the answer the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God maketh the reading, but especially the preaching of the Word, an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners and of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith. Unto salvation, So this question says, God especially uses the preached word. God uses the word when it's read to us. And it's the spirit who especially uses that word and makes it effectual to us. And it works. That's that word. It's working in our hearts. It's working in our minds. For what purpose here? That, it, that we might become convinced. We might become convicted to be converted sinners. And also that working of the spirit is to build us up in faith and it's to build build us up in holiness and to build us up, and the word says here, in comfort, that by faith we might then possess that salvation, that gift. This is the Spirit's working. So it's the Spirit convicting and converting and comforting us. Now, one of the areas that we are spending some time in these sermons, one of the areas especially that the Spirit uses the word of God to convict, to comfort, to train, to convert, uh, to lead us in ways of edification and holiness is this topic of sin, the topic of sin. You know, we're reading these passages out of the book of Romans, and it's right there. It's right there before our eyes, isn't it? That we're being confronted with the doctrine of sin. For us to walk with Christ, to know Christ, to walk with Him, to live in Christ, to serve Christ, it begins... With this biblical doctrine of sin. I like what one uh, British preacher, he's now gone to be with the Lord, the one British preacher, Martin Lloyd Jones, he was a minister at Westminster Chapel, Westminster Chapel uh, in London in the 50s and 60s, maybe the early 70s as well. Uh, Martin Lloyd Jones, in his book called studies in the sermon on the mount he has these words there is no true evangelism there are there are no tr- there's no true evangelism without the doctrine of sin without an understanding of what sin is now we can expand on that and i, and I went ahead and, and i read some of lloyd jones and he does expand on it this way there's no true worship there's no true pursuit of holiness No true understanding of the great love of God. Those are words right out of Martin Lloyd-Jones. No no understanding of the great love of God. There's no true building up of the body of Christ. There's no true diaconal service, ministries of mercy to those in need. There's no care for each other as a church family. Care for one another to be the sons and daughters of the living God. Lloyd-Jones goes on now. I do not want to be unfair. But I will say that a gospel which merely says, come to Jesus and offers him as a friend and offers a marvelous new life without convicting of sin is not New Testament evangelism. The essence of evangelism, the essence of good preaching, the essence of good caring to strengthen the church is to start by preaching the law. And it's because the law has not been preached that we have so much superficial evangelism. Evangelism must start with the holiness of God, the sinfulness of man, and the eternal consequences of evil and wrongdoing. That's Martin Lloyd-Jones. Now, these are stunning words, right? They're gripping words. Because we're being reminded that our God is not only triune, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that eternal dwelling, Our one God existing in three persons. The Bible always starts there, who God is. But then flowing out of that is who man is. Man being a creature of God, now man a fallen creature of God, must come to grips with his sinful nature for there to be conviction of sin and then to walk with Christ our Savior. I'd like to handle or like to go over two points tonight based on these passages, but particularly Romans chapter three is where we're going to be tonight. Uh, Two lessons for us this evening. First of all, that there is a handling of privileges, a handling, how we handle privileges that God has given us, handling of privileges, but we can handle them dangerously. We can handle privileges dangerously. We'll get at that as to what I really mean here in a moment. But then secondly, in talking about the doctrine of sin, there is a fatal fallenness that we must come to grips with, a fatal fallenness. So from Romans chapter 3, particularly looking here at these verses, beginning here at verse verse 10 and following, there are privileges that we're going to be reminded of, but we oftentimes, we do, we handle them in a dangerous way. Let's go down to verse 20 to get started. Look at verse 20. Romans 3 at verse 20. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Let's let's look at those first opening words. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. What's being assumed in this verse is that our our default position and our default way of living is to seek to do the works of the law, to seek to do the works of the law, and thus to attempt to justify ourselves. But the Bible says that's impossible. Again, verse 20, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. It's impossible. And as well, it's not God's design. But if we were to stop the preaching right now at this moment and just turn to one another and talk something about our own experiences in life, If we were to talk to one another, without a doubt, and we would share things like this about our own experiences. I thought we would say things like this. I thought my good deeds would outweigh my bad. I thought my trying my best is what would gain approval with God. I thought, I thought, you see. But again, we have verse 20. For by the works of the law, for by my good deeds concerning the law. For trying my best concerning to try to gain approval with God, verse 20, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. But now the application in this section, the application flowing out of this section. Think of the many privileges that we do get, and yet think how we mishandle the privileges. Think with me, first of all, with Israel first, the Jews, because Paul is speaking to the Jews. He said many times back in chapter one, he said one time back in chapter one, but he's also said in chapter two, now even chapter three, that the gospel comes to the Jews first and then to the Greeks. And Paul has an eye on Israel's own history in these lessons about her privileges. In chapter 10, he says, Romans chapter 10, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. He's speaking about his kindred, his brethren, the the Israelites. For I bear witness that they have a zeal for God. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. What are these privileges? Why do they have this zeal? Even though it's a zeal, that's mishandled. What is their zeal about? Romans chapter nine, verse four tells us they are Israelites and to them belong the adoption. Watch this litany now, this, this, this litany that comes down, a list that comes down here. For they are the Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ. Privileges unmatched. Privileges wrongly handled. Why? Why? Romans chapter 10, verse 3. This litany of privileges, wrongly handled, badly handled. Romans chapter 10, verse 3. Being ignorant of God's righteousness and what? Seeking to establish their own righteousness. There it is. That's what they do with these privileges. (laughs) They take them and mishandle them. And use them all according to their traditions, their standards, their ways, their applications. Paul tells us here, seeking to establish their own righteousness. They do away with God's righteousness. They do not submit to his righteousness. And dangers abound as a result. We said last week, they abandon God. They forsake God in his righteousness. Paul tells us plainly here, they're seeking to establish their own righteousness. And you can almost hear Philippians chapter 3 when Paul gives his own litany. Remember what Paul says about his own litany of his own background, all these privileges that he had personally. A Hebrew of Hebrews from the tribe of Benjamin as to the law of Pharisee. Remember all that, that litany he gave. And then what he says, not having a righteousness of my own. having a righteousness that comes by faith through Christ, a righteousness that is not his own, but from God, by faith in Christ. So you see, people have this tendency. Friends, we have this tendency. It's our default position to trust what? In our religious devotion, to trust in our religious renewal to trust in our own lawful adherence. We think we can gain favor with Almighty God. And I lived my life that way for 18 years. I was a church-going lad, a child, a teenage boy. But I thought that as I would honor and respect my parents, that would gain me a favor and approval. Some, some pastor says that sometimes we think if we take a missionary to lunch, we'll gain God's favor and approval. <laughs> Do something kind like that, you see. But the book of Romans will revisit this truth over and over and over again. We need the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not our righteousness. It's not these privileges that we have that we trust in them. God uses these means the preaching of the word. We had that read to us tonight, the preaching of the word, the reading of the word. He uses prayer. He will use baptism in the Lord's Supper. He will use the ministry of counsel with one another. He will use the time where we, we will huddle in, in, in groups of threes and fours and pray together. But our trust is in not the means. The trust is not in the traditions around those means. Our trust is not in our particular habits and practices around those traditions and means. We need Christ. And that's why Jesus said, I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. Our Savior came down to be our righteousness. And he took up his mission to go to Golgotha to be the one who took to himself the curse Of the just payment for sin. What is that payment? Death. What does that payment include? Receiving in his body the wrath of God. Judgment that we deserve. And so in that payment of his death, he's the curse taker. The curse of the law becomes his. And he bears the penalty of the law that sin must be punished. And Christ took that punishment for us and that's why we emphasize we all need the gospel we all need christ he is our place taker for our obedience and we receive in him that true acceptable righteousness and then what we're adopted into his perfect lasting sonship and just like israel of old Just like the Hebrew people, even the Jews around old Palestine in Jesus' day, we can be so close to the things of God. Here we are tonight, Good Shepherd Presbyterian, members of God's plan who are of his covenant people. We can be so close to the things of God, and there's an implicit warning. Why? What's the warning? We can easily be about seeking to establish our own righteousness. But the Bible tells us, Jeremiah 17, blessed is that man whose trust is in the Lord. The book of Jonah, salvation belongs to God. The Psalms are replete with this. Our trust is in the Lord. Some will trust in the strength of the legs of a man or the strength of the legs of a horse, but our trust is in our God, right? And that's the language. We're to put away from us this pursuit of seeking to establish our own righteousness. Christ gives his credit. Christ gives his obedient record. Christ gives his own identity. We're called Christians. We're named to be in Christ. His credit is ours. No man, no human can seek to vindicate himself herself by the works of the law. We trust in the Lord for the credit he has earned. I like what the pastor Brian Chappell uses for an illustration. Chapel uses illustration to drive this point home. He says, my son uses a credit card with my name on it. With my permission and according to my desire, he assumes my identity. Though he cannot fulfill the conditions required for payment, my son has all my credit available to him. He cannot provide the credit for himself. He acts with my identity, and he has all the credit that I have earned for him. I like that. You see, that's the grace perspective. Privileges galore, but we handle them by trusting in another. His son was trusting in his father regarding his reputation, his abilities regarding his credit. So whether he's going to a gasoline station or whatever he might be doing. He acts in his father's identity, and he acts according to the good credit earned for him. That's the gospel. Again, privileges galore, are we continuing to walk in Christ, relying upon Christ as we handle these privileges? Otherwise, we will be on that slippery slope or that dangerous edge of falling into the ditch of the dangerous ways of self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. It's handling the privileges dangerously. Let's go to the second point. Fatal fallenness. Fatal fallenness. Here we start with Romans 3 at verse 13. Run your eyes up to verse 13 there. It's another list that Paul is in the midst of. He's just talked about there's none who is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. Verse 11. Verse 12. All have turned aside. Together have become worthless. No one does good. Look at verse 13 now. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now again, what we're doing here, congregation, is that we're going back to this doctrine of sin. Because as we embrace the biblical teaching of the doctrine of sin... We'll see that it's a key that opens the door for life in Christ and the Spirit's application for converting and convicting and comforting and leading and encouraging us and building us up. We're going back over this doctrine of sin. But here, are the, here we are with this list beginning at verse 13 about all these different parts or all these different faculties of our. Bodies; these member parts of our bodies are referenced here for us, beginning at verse thirteen and following. Just a few observations: note the quotations here are from the Old Testament. Um, in in my Bible, you might have it as well, but in my Bible, these verses are set of, set of indented and they're set apart. They're actually indented and set apart because they are qu- uh, quotations from the Old Testament. You've got Psalm five here, Psalm one hundred and forty. Psalm 10, and then there's a quote from Isaiah 59. So what is Paul doing by quoting the Old Testament here? He's reaching back and he's building his case about man's fatal fallenness from God's blueprint. What's the blueprint? The book of God, the Bible itself, the Old Testament. Paul is building his doctrine of man here on God's blueprint, the scriptures themselves. Also, Paul is rooting these lessons in God's time-tested truth. These are lessons that are reaching across the generations from David's day, that's the Psalms, up to Isaiah's day. Different epochs of people here are all in view, whether it be back in 700 B.C. or further back yet in 1000 B.C. or even our own lives today, you see we can be placed right under this micropho- uh, microscope of the lens of scripture itself. Why? Because this is the time-tested truth of God. This is his word. Generations have faced the same troubles we face, no different than our own. Now some specifics. He starts at verse 13 here about the throat, the tongue, and the mouth. It's this whole, what we say, this neck region, this thoracic region of the of our speech faculties, our mouth. This is where he starts. And so in what way does Paul apply this fatal fallenness? It's in our speech. It's in our interactions with others, how we speak, what we speak, when we speak. And, of course, there's a great, great emphasis on the results that then come from what we speak. His focus is on the tongue. Proverbs eighteen, twenty-one: death and life are in the power of the tongue. There'll be times in the book of Romans where Paul will center his concern about man's wickedness. He'll center that concern on how that wickedness is directly before God. Paul will say that in the book of Romans in places, no question. But here, he's focusing in on the evil of man... <laughs> The trouble of man's soul, and it's all aimed with these outcomes against others. It's our speech. Again, the proverb, death and life are in the power of the tongue. At verse 13, we have these words, their throat is an open grave. Death is in the power of the tongue. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive lies, false teaching misleading shepherds those that would deceive with their tongues there's venom of asps under their lips poison deadly poison venom under their lips verse 14 their mouth is what full of curses and bitterness it's one thing to be a false teacher it's one thing to speak ill but here now you have curses and bitterness. That bitterness, that's why the Bible talks about bitterness being a root. It's it's unseen. Bitterness is inside. Bitterness is that that moaning and that groaning and that rehearsing that goes on inside. Bitterness is a root, that's to say, down deep, something unseen, but it's growing. And Paul levels this matter of death and life being in the power of the tongue. And again, his focus is in on the outcomes of our speech with others. And he says, this proves man's ruin. But then he goes on to in the rest of these verses and he gives focus to other areas of the body. Look at verse 15, other areas of the body. Verse 15, their feet are swift to shed blood and in their paths are ruin and misery. Verse 17, the way of peace they've not known. 18, there's no fear of God before their eyes. Notice now the spatial distance from the feet, verse 15, to the eyes, verse 18. From the feet, verse 15, to the eyes, verse 18. What is Paul saying? From the bottom of our feet to the top of our heads, right? Man's problem is from head to toe. (laughs) He is a sinner from head to toe. Every aspect of his being is touched by the fallenness of his ruin and misery, every aspect. What he thinks, what he says, what he sees, what he knows, how he travels, that's to say his daily living, his feet are quick to shed blood. Every aspect of who he is is affected by the fallen condition of Adam's first sin, Genesis chapter 3. I like what one of our pastors, uh, Pastor Wingard here, Charlie Wingard, how he summarizes some of these verses just to give us some application here. In describing the spiritual condition of fallen humanity, Reformed Christians often use the term total depravity. The fact that people are totally depraved does not mean that they are as sinful as they can be. Rather, it indicates that every aspect of our humanity Head to toe. Every aspect of our humanity is fallen. Our hearts, our minds, our wills are corrupted by sin. And he finishes up. And the devastating effects of human depravity do not merely scratch the surface of our life, but but cut to the very core. The result is that lost persons are unable to choose what is spiritually good. People may live morally responsible lives in their community, but apart from Christ a love for God of, the Bi- of the God of the Bible, and a desire to live a holy life before him, such things are absent. Apart from Christ, a love of the God of the Bible and a desire to live a holy life, those things are absent. That's a great summary of man's fallenness. But I bring us back to the Lord Jesus once again. You talk about our Lord and his own body. It's not so with Jesus. His eyes would be lifted up in prayer, John 17. He lifted his eyes upward to pray. He lifted his hands to bless, to touch, to correct in turning over tables in the temple. He spoke with authority. He spoke giving uttered words to utter words of compassion. He gave words of hope to those in need. His mouth savored the words of god listen to what he said man does not live on bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of god he savored the words of god his ears were open to the cries around him son of david son of david have mercy on me and jesus gave his own telling indictment on man throughout the gospel of john a brief survey here he gave his own telling indictment of man your works are evil none of you keeps the law you shall die in your sins you are from beneath this is the condemnation that men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil do you see why we need the Lord Jesus Christ he is all together body and soul Given unto his Father, the faculties and the members of our bodies. That, but Paul was just giving a rehearsal of how our fallen nature is so clear. Jesus comes as the righteous one, altogether given over to his Father from head to toe, given to his Father in obedient service to be our Savior. So I close with a couple of questions. Are you giving yourself to this? Just assessment of who you are at the core. Are you giving yourself to this just assessment? Saying, Father, you know my sin. You know me to the core of who I am. That only by faith in Jesus Christ is their hope, is their life. And then, secondly, are you taking his words seriously about your sin? Are you fleeing to him, saying, Lord, I need you? As the hymn says, right, I need you every hour. Are you fleeing to Christ? Again, Lloyd-Jones, as I close, there's no true worship, no true pursuit of holiness. No true understanding of the great love of God. No true building up of the body of Christ. I expand on Lloyd-Jones. There's no diaconal service, no care for each other as a church family without the doctrine of sin, without an understanding of what sin is. Friends, this is good news. God's good news. Our sin is put to us plainly. And there is more good news We're reminded in Romans just a little bit later. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And that's why we have Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, take your word and uh, bring home to us this teaching and this application. That rightly apprehending who you are and all of your purity... We, Lord, would turn to you in faith. We would flee to you, for you're the answer, O oh God. You indeed are the answer, where we would flee, knowing your wrath is righteous and just. At the same time, it's turning to you to find you as our refuge to be our righteousness in your Son, the Lord Jesus. Oh God. Um, Lead us as your people. Comfort us as your children. That day by day, our trust would be in the Lord, even Jesus, who is our righteousness. And we pray in his name and for his sake. Amen.